Well, good morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, and we'll be looking at verses 13 and 14 today. As you're turning there, I was just thinking this last few weeks, even the last few months, and I think I've come to the conclusion that life, to its very core, is made up of choices. We make choices every single day of our lives from what will I wear this morning to what am I going to eat when I get up this morning to where will I go this morning, what route of transportation will I take. We make decisions about when I get to the place I need to get to today, what actions am I going to take. And then we make bigger life choices like will I buy a house or in today's market will I be able to even afford to buy a house or will I have to rent. We make decisions on who we're going to marry and who we choose to spend the rest of our lives with. We make choices about career paths and what will we do for our future. We make choices about money. What major purchase will I make? Uh, how will I spend my money throughout my lifetime? We choose how we're going to raise kids and the things we want to teach them, the, the morals we'll raise them up on. And these are just a few of the millions of different choices you can make throughout your lifetime. The point is that life is made up of choices, and while there are endless amounts of choices you can make on a daily basis and even throughout your lifetime, there is one choice that is the most important choice you will ever make in your entire life. This one choice is to either take the narrow way or the broad path, a decision that determines your eternal destiny, a decision that's not to be taken lightly or given little thought to. It's a choice that determines your soul's course for eternity, and today we read about this choice, a choice that everyone has to make throughout their lifetime at one point. And we look at this choice found in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. Clearly laying out the choice lays out two gates that we can choose from, two paths along the way, and ultimately two destinations that these two paths lead to. So let's read in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. It says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way which leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And if you notice in the first few verses, it starts off with a command, enter. It's not so much an invitation saying, you know, maybe at some point in your life you should do this, or hopefully you can get around to it, or it'd be nice if you gave it some thought during your lifetime. No. It's a command, choose, make up your mind which path you're going to take. The sermon's been spending the last two and a half chapters leading up to this point. It's decision time. Which path will you take, the narrow one leading to life or the broad path leading to destruction? Some people have called this section, it's make up your mind time on the mount. Essentially, up until this point, Jesus has been showing the flaws of the religion of Judaism. Jesus has been showing this is a false religion. This is a religion that says this is the way to heaven. And if you truly follow that path, it leads you to hell. People have been saying, no, I can just outwardly appear to be righteous and I can earn my way to heaven. It's a religion based upon pretend, seemingly looking righteous, but inwardly not being so. People thought that by just following a strict set of rules, that would allow them access to heaven. They would fast, they would pray, they would give, and yet their giving was superficial, and they were doing it to be known as a generous person. They would pray, but they were praying so that other people would hear them. They would fast, but they would fast so people would notice them fasting, and they would appear as some spiritual athlete. All of it done superficially. All for show, none for actual genuineness out of their heart, because they loved the Lord. 
And outwardly, they would attempt to obey the law to a T, and yet even their obedience was all for show. They could fool their friends, their family, they could fool anyone else around them, but God could see right through the facade, and he saw that inwardly, they were unrighteous. They would say, I've obeyed the law, I've never murdered, and yet in their heart they hated their brother, which in God's eyes is equivalent to murder. They would say, I've never committed adultery, and yet in their hearts they lusted after women. You have, you know, these people looked up to as if they were these righteous people, and people thought, how could I ever be more righteous than these people? And yet the Lord himself says that these men will not inherit eternal life. He says that in Mark, or Matthew 5.20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot come to Jesus thinking that by your own righteousness, your own ability, that somehow you can enter and, and have eternal life. Jesus is trying to make it clear that this religion does not lead to heaven. It leads to destruction. And so he's been showing them constantly that this is not the truth and then when he finally gets to the summation of the the whole passage he now says here are your two options it's decision time make a choice a choice that has eternal consequences a choice that must be made in your lifetime here on this earth a choice that decides if you spend forever with the lord in heaven or if you spend it separated from god and from his people you only have one life there are no redos. There are no second chances. There are no, oh, wait a minute, I, I changed my mind at the last second. There are no takebacks. It's final. This decision has a finality to it. And throughout the Bible, there have been leaders that God has given the responsibility and the privilege to offer, to relay this message to them. They've been given the opportunity to show and present these two choices, these two consequences that come from either choice. If you remember back in the Old Testament, Moses in Deuteronomy was given the option to tell the children of Israel what God had offered. Two different, cho- two different paths, two different choices. It says in Deuteronomy 30, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong the days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God and you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your father, to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. So Moses was given that privilege. He was given the option or the, the opportunity to share with the children of Israel, look, there are two paths, life or death. You can choose to be disobedient to the Lord or to follow the Lord. You can choose good or you can choose evil. One path that leads to eternal life and the other to eternal torment. After that, Joshua then came along after Moses died and was also given the same responsibility. We read about this in Joshua 24. Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him 
in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in, the land, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, it was Joshua who looked at these two options. He said, you know, either choose the one and only God, the true God, or choose any of these other gods. It's your decision. You make that choice. But as for me and my household, we've, we've looked at the options. We've weighed them out. We see where these are both going. And as for us, we will serve the Lord. You see, one path leads to life and the other to destruction. And over and over again, there are countless times of God using his people to pose this question to the world. Which path will you take? And as believers in Christ Jesus, it's our opportunity, our privilege, our duty to present this world with these questions. What road will you take? Are you going to take the broad road leading to destruction or the narrow path leading to life? But if you were to ask this world today, you'd probably hear something a lot different than that. You'd probably hear, you know, there's a lot more than two options. I was talking to a coworker a couple of years back, and he told me, uh, he was very religious, he, had a, he was a Sikh, and uh, he told me, David, you know, what do you believe? And I was like, well, I'm a Christian, and I, I believe what the Bible tells me about uh, how Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe that, you know, by putting my faith in him alone, I can inherit eternal life, and I can spend forever with him. And he said, you know, that's awesome, you know. I have my faith, you have your faith, Muslims, Catholics, Buddhists, whatever. We all have our own path, our own little way that we're getting to heaven. It's cool, I like that, you know. It's just all on these different roads, just all leading to the same destination, you know. I like that. You know, as long as you have faith, I have faith, we have it in a higher power, you're passionate about it, I'm passionate about it. We're all on the same road. And, and, and if you think about it, from the world's view, that, that makes sense. They like the idea that there are numerous ways that lead to heaven. They like it that, you know, I don't have to say that one road, one road is truth and the other is false. I don't want to admit that there is an absolute only one way. I don't want to admit that there is no other possibility except this one way. And so to the world, they like to believe that, that what's true for me is true for you. And what's true for, you, true for me is true for you as well. And the, the idea is that all roads lead to heaven in their point of view. As long as you're passionate about your faith, as long as you have some moral code that you abide by, you're all going to end up in the same destination. And because of that lie, you would think that the world must have millions of way to heaven, or at least Satan would love for you to believe that. But the reality is there is only one way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All other options, all other religions, all other pathways that people offer you all consist of the broad road. All these, all these other religions say we go to heaven, and yet they end up in hell. Only the narrow road leads to life. And you see, Jesus, he makes this decision so simple for us. He shows us there are two options, only two. With the gates, he shows us there are two gates, a wide and a narrow Two roads, the broad and the narrow road. Two crowds, the many and the few. Two destinations, destruction and life. And then in the following verses, there are two types of fruit, the good and the bad fruit. Two foundations to build upon. You have the rock and the sand. Two outcomes, the, the, the one that withstood the floods and the wind and the other one that fell down. 
Jesus is trying to make it so simple for us. You only have two choices. Though this world will try to tell you otherwise, there are only two options. Two paths, both roads that claim they lead to heaven, and yet only one of them actually leads there. And so, since everyone in their lifetime needs to make this decision, since everyone will have to choose at some point in their life to make a decision to either take the broad road or the narrow way, let's look at them. The first option is the wide gate. And notice how easy it is to access this path. It's a gate that's large enough to allow a massive crowd to enter through it. Easy to access it. There's no difficulty whatsoever. You want acceptance? You can, believe me, through this gate, you can believe whatever you want. You can make your own way to heaven. Through this gate, you can obtain heaven through good works, good actions, good deeds. You can be a good enough person. It doesn't matter. All of it leads to heaven, or at least they think so. Surely we can take comfort in that we all have different beliefs, but God couldn't judge us all, could he? He couldn't send us all to hell for all believing different things. Surely we can't all be wrong. Surely God wouldn't reject us for this, would he? I mean, on this road, you don't even have to believe there is a God, let alone heaven. You don't have to. It is this, this gate allows for access of all walks of life, all religious beliefs, all sexual orientations, all lifestyle choices. Come one, come all through this with all your baggage, all of your sin, all your wicked ways. It's okay on this road. This is the wide gate, and you can enter in through it any way you'd like. I've been to, just to give you kind of a picture of what, try, try and represent this. I've been to Vegas many times in my life, but the most recent time, I, I, I went there and I realized how much Vegas is a picture of this broad road. You see, in, in Vegas, you can indulge and fill with gluttonously with food. You can go right ahead, eat whatever you want. Do you want to get drunk? Do you want to cheers to the nights you'll never remember? Go ahead. It's available at every bar there. Do you want to be accepted on this road? No one will look down on you. Do you want to experience all the illicit drugs they offer? Go right ahead. It's available. Free. There are drug dealers all throughout that city. Do you want to go ahead and enjoy the pleasures of spending your money at casinos and trying to get rich? Go ahead. You can try at every casino there. Experience all the pleasures you want. Do you want to satisfy your sexual pleasures and whatever else you're searching for? There are escorts, prostitutes, every way on that strip, every avenue. Or if you want to play it safe, there are strip clubs. There are other provocative shows you can watch. Whatever you're looking for, that city has it. Do you want to, uh, you know, believe whatever you want? There are people in that city who believe random things. They're from atheists to Buddhists to Muslims. No matter what, everyone is accepting of everyone there. In fact, they're so okay with sinful lifestyle, they've even called it Sin City. This is a city that allows you to do whatever you want, and so is the broad road. You can do whatever you want. You can be whoever you want. You can act however you want. Do you want to say unclean things from your lips? Go ahead. You can think whatever you want to think. No one will judge you. This is the accepting road. This is the road that allows for everyone to pass by it. Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived, at one point, however, decided to see what the broad road had to offer. He decided to see what life had a, you know, what it would look like if I indulged in everything it offered. And so he indulged in alcohol and women, fame, money, anything that his heart desired, he didn't hold back from himself. And according to this world, you would think, wow, he had it all. He had everything you could have ever wanted. He should be satisfied. He should be filled to the maximum. He shouldn't have any issue. 
And yet, though this seems like an ideal situation, and although it seemed like Solomon hadn't made it, Solomon's conclusion was that it was all vanity. It was all striving after wind. I don't know if you've ever been outside on a windy day, but the idea of when the wind blows and trying to grasp it, try to obtain it somehow, you, you can't. You can't hold on to it. And so it is with the pleasures of the broad road. You can try and see if it satisfies you. You can try and grasp it with your hands, but it's elusive. It never satisfies. On this broad road, you can indulge in all that you want, but satisfaction, happiness, and lasting joy, true lasting joy, can never be found on this path. This path, however, doesn't seem to have consequences. As a, and as a true follower of Christ, this road even seems appealing at times. You think, wow, it seems like everyone on this road seems to be doing well. They seem to prosper. It seems as though there is no end in sight to their sin. It seems as though even though they're indulging in these things, there are no ultimate consequences. And it seems as though nothing ever happens as a result. And there was a psalmist in Psalm 73 who wrote about the frustration he was dealing with, thinking about why is it that they prosper? Why do they continue to do so well? And to summarize kind of his observations, because I don't have time to go through it all, but to just summarize his experience of looking at the people on the broad road, he said that, first of all, they don't experience the troubles that the righteous people face. They're prideful. They're violent people. They have abundance, and they even speak about God and say he's not able to see what we do. He's not able to see the sinful things we do. He, they uh, are always at ease in life. They're full of riches. And at the end of it, he says, what gives? Why is it that the righteous seem to have difficulty? Why is it that we seem to have such problems? And if you're here this morning and you've realized that you are on the broad road, then I really want you to listen up. And if you're on this narrow road and you're frustrated as to why it seems as though everyone seems to prosper on the broad road, I also want you to listen up. Because the psalmist came to a conclusion in Psalm 73, verse 17 and 19, where he says this, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their, understood their end. Surely you have set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. The thing is, that the psalmist realized was that this is the exact same, same thing that Jesus is saying here. The broad road is the road that leads to what? Destruction. You may live your life here, distant from God, enjoying the pleasures of the flesh. You may live your life without a care what the Bible says. You may go on disobeying him and saying, there is no God. The world cannot be judged. He can't possibly judge me. You may live in this life and have riches in this life. You may prosper and you may have it all. And yet, what happens when your life is over at 60, 70, 80, or 90 years old? Then what? What happens when it's over? The Bible is clear that destruction is waiting for those who travel on the broad road. And there are some who will say, wait a minute. I'm on that broad road, but I'm a spiritual person. I'm religious. I know who Jesus is. I know what the Bible says about him. And yet, Jesus' response to them is found in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? 
And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, it's not so much to just know about God. It says in James that even the demons believe and tremble. It's not so much to know about God, to know about the characteristics of God, to go to church, to be able to quote the Bible. No. Many people claim to know God, but the Lord says here, many will say to me in that day, and I will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. You see, it's not just the bad people or the so-called wicked people that God sends to the lake of fire. It's anyone who does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Anyone who is not willing to admit that they are a sinner. Anyone who is not willing to admit that in any way they cannot earn their way to heaven. It says that these people on the broad road are going to destruction. And I want to just elaborate on what that destruction looks like. It's, it's an eternity separated from the God who loved them so much that he gave, their, gave his own son for their very soul. It's an eternity in a place where there is no joy, no happiness, no peace, no love, and worst of all, no God. This is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. A place where people will spend eternity because of their sins. And it's the sad reality of where the broad road leads. Though it may look fancy and all lit up in Vegas, or on this broad road, whatever you want to call it, ultimately it leads to destruction. Proverbs 16 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it is the way of death. You know, it seems so right. No, you know, poss- no way possibly that all of us could be wrong. There's no way that God could judge all of us. And yet, it seems so right in the eyes of the world, and yet it leads to death. And for someone who doesn't believe in Christ, or someone who realizes for the first time this, that you're on this broad road, I really, really want you to realize that this is a wake-up call to you. This morning, if you're realizing for the first time that you're on this broad road, does that concern you? Does that bother you that the end destination for you is destruction? It's my hope and it's my prayer that if anyone realized this morning that they are on this road, that you would consider your eternity. You would consider where you're going. I remember as a high schooler, I went to an event and there was a speaker who told me something that I'll probably never forget. And he was trying to wrap our minds around the idea of eternity. And I, you know, I mean, we as people don't think that far. We think in terms of days or weeks or months, maybe years. Uh, away from now, sometimes even decades, but it's really hard for us to think about eternity because our life here on this earth is maybe 100 years or less. And so we try to put in perspective saying the earth is 93 million miles from the sun. And he said, theoretically, if you were to draw a line from the earth to the sun, you'd be 93 million miles. And let's just say that that 93 million miles, that line that we drew, is an example or pictures eternity. And he said, your life on this earth, if you were to just place a little dot on that line, it'd be a microscopic dot in the length of 93 million miles. And the idea that he was trying to get across was, are you living for that dot, the here and now, the temporary, the thing that will be gone away in 60, 70 years? Or are you living for that line, the eternity, forever after this life? And it really made me realize just how serious of a decision you're making. It was David who said that man's life is just a breath, a vapor. I've gone out on cold days and I've 
just breathed out, and you see that vapor in front of you, and two seconds later, it's gone. And so it is with life. It's, it's here a second, and the next second, it's gone. You know, I, I've come to the realization more and more as I work in the hospital that life is short. I'll never forget the first patient I ever had to do CPR on, and he was very healthy. He looked like he was going to go home the next day, had no real health complications at all, fairly young guy. I thought he was doing well, and then suddenly he stopped breathing all of a sudden. Suddenly he no longer was doing well. Suddenly he was unresponsive. Suddenly we had to start doing CPR on him. And after an entire hour, which is a very long time, by the way, for CPR, after an entire hour of doing CPR, that was it. There was no response by him. A clot had broken off out of his leg and went to his lungs, and that was it for him. No response, no matter how hard we tried. He was gone, just like that. He entered into eternity. That morning, he was the father of numerous kids. He had a great job. He had a house. He had everything for him that day, and yet that afternoon, he left it all behind. And it was heart-wrenching to look outside after we had finished, and you see the family in the waiting room, and you have the children. This, this, their father is now gone. You have the nephews, now I don't have an uncle, and the wife, now my husband's gone. It's gut-wrenching to see that. And if you don't realize this, life is short, and you need to choose this day which road you're going to take. I was looking up, and it's estimated that 150,000 people die on this earth every single day. They enter into eternity. Whether or not they know God, whether or not they're ready to face eternity, the question you have to answer before death is, will you take the broad road leading to destruction? Or will you take the narrow path leading to everlasting life? Just like Moses presented it to the children of Israel, just like Joshua did, just like Jesus did, it's our role as believers to present it to the unbelieving world. Which path will you take? Everyone in this life has to make a decision and if you choose not to make a decision, you say, if you say, I won't choose the narrow path, but I'll, you know, maybe on my deathbed I'll get to that point and I'll consider later. If you die before making that choice, you've chosen the broad path. Not making a choice is making a choice. There are no, wait a minute, I changed my mind. There's no second chances. It's final. And it's our role as believers to compel this world to think seriously about that choice. To tell them the truth of where these two roads lead to. And so we've looked at the broad road. We know that it leads to destruction. Now let's look at the narrow road. But before we reach the narrow road, we read that we approach a narrow gate or a narrow door, as some translations call it. And we're given a command to enter through the narrow gate. And realize it's narrow for a reason. It doesn't have the influx of crowds that the broad gate has. It says the crowd size is few. It's not a gate that's entered as a group it's more like a turnstile that admits one at a time. It's not a group choice. It's an individual choice that every person must make to enter this gate. And realize also that Jesus is the gate or the door that a person must enter through. John 10 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus is the only way a person can enter the narrow gate. In fact, Jesus also tells us that he is the only way as well. As we read earlier, 
said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is really difficult to think about as far as the world is concerned because as we look down the broad road, this is so contrary to it. On the broad road, like we said, there are so many ways all leading to heaven. All the different religions all combined doesn't matter. They all say they lead to heaven. You could choose to be whatever you want. You can choose to do whatever you want. And now Jesus is saying on the narrow road, though, no, I am the only way. There is only one way and one gate. There is no other gate and no other way except through Jesus Christ. Basically, you either accept him and his death on, on the cross for your sins in full, and you enter that narrow gate, or you say, no, I must earn my own way to heaven. I can do my part. I can choose and, and show myself to be righteous. Give me a chance. I'll show you. And if you do that, which you can, you'll be entering the broad gate. You'll be with the rest of the world that believes they can earn their salvation, that believes they can earn their way to heaven. Jesus says there's only two options. But if you accept Jesus as the gate and the way, that means you'll have to admit some things. You're going to have to admit that there is no righteousness found within yourself. You have to admit that you are helpless to obtain any righteous standing before him. You admit that you cannot obtain heaven on your own merit. You're admitting that there is no other way to have a righteous standing before God except through Jesus. You realize that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And sometimes people will say, well, that's pretty narrow-minded of you. But you really have no idea how narrow-minded I am. <laughs> this is the only prescription that Jesus gives for heaven. He is the only way. He is the only gate. He is the only way. And it's through Jesus Christ. So it says that the, the, way is narrow, or the road is narrow and the way is difficult. Well, why is it difficult? Why would, why would it be so hard? Jesus says clearly why it's so difficult in Matthew 14. Now, now great multitudes went with him and turned and said to him, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he's laid a foundation, he is not able to finish. And all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build but was not able to finish. Or what king, going to war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000, or else, while he is still a great far off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So what does it look like to truly be a follower of Christ? What is the cost of being his disciple? Well, first of all, it says that we must love Christ above all other worldly relationships. It doesn't mean that we necessarily hate or are bitter against, you know, brother or sister. It just means that our love for Christ is so great and so much at the forefront that every other worldly relationship that we have in comparison looks as neglect or hatred in comparison. It means that no matter who else is in your life, Christ must be first before even your own life. Instead of always putting your needs and your priorities as first, his will and his kingdom needs to be at the forefront. 
Everything that we do in our life should not be for our own glory, but for his glory. All things that we should do is for the furtherance of his kingdom and his plans and not our own plans. It means there are no half-hearted disciples that can be his. You're either all out for him or you're not. There is no middle ground that he offers. And second, he teaches that difficulties will be on this narrow road. If you want to be a disciple, it says you must bear your own cross and follow him. It means you're going to be going down a path of suffering, persecution, hatred from unbelievers, rejection, and even potentially death for your faith in Christ. And you might, you might think, well, where does the Bible say that? It says it in 2 Timothy, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's not a suggestion or a maybe this might happen down the road. No, it's this will happen if you so choose to go down the narrow road. Are you willing to do that? You need to be aware that this is the part of the Christian life, whether if you choose to take it. Elsewhere in the Bible, it talks plainly about believers on the narrow road living our lives that it's contrary to the world, that we are to die to our lustful flesh, that we are to live lives that are set apart to holiness, that we are to put to death any kind of sin in our lives. It tells us that we are no longer our own. We were bought at a price, and we're told to honor God with our bodies. When you enter into a relationship with Christ, you go from being a slave to sin and the evil desires of our sin to being a slave to the Most High God. No longer is sin your master. Your new master is Jesus Christ. But this is a difficult thing for the world to accept especially when all they want to do is continue on living their life how they choose to. When all they want to do is be ruler over their own life. When all they want to say is collectively, we will not have this man reign over us. It just shows the fallen nature of man. And in fact, upon hearing many of these teachings, it tells us in John 6 that from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. It's a difficult thing for people to listen to. It's a road that only few people take. And this really takes away the idea of easy believism, if you will. The idea that all I need to do is simply trust the Lord and put my faith in him, and there's going to be no difficulty, no trials, no persecution, no problems. No, Jesus says life as a disciple of his will result in difficulty. So Jesus is honest and he's upfront about the two paths. And he's saying that the one that is narrow is difficult. Jesus goes on in the passage in Luke to really have people consider what they're getting into. He says, you know, if you're going to build a tower or if you're going to build something, you know, like a structure, before you put the investment into that, you think, do I have enough money to actually finish this thing? How much is it going to cost me? What, you know, what amount of money do I need in order to make this work? Otherwise, if you don't finish it, it looks terrible on you that you didn't plan out all the costs. You didn't really think through the options you didn't really consider what you needed to do to accomplish that. And so it is with the Christian life. As a disciple of Christ, you need to sit down and consider what is the cost of following him. Do I really want to abandon everything in my life and full-heartedly serve him? Am I willing to walk away from my sin, my friends, my family, or anything that would hold me away from following him? Or otherwise, you might start off strong and fizzle out. Another example he gave of counting the cost is a king going to war with half the size of army that the other king has. Are you willing to 
Consider all the costs of what might entail in that battle. It's either you're going to fully surrender to your opponent and admit defeat, or you're going to go full-heartedly in commitment towards them. It's the same of any follower of Christ. You must consider the cost of following him, choosing one or the other. But though the gate is narrow and though the way is difficult, what is the final destination? Where does this narrow path lead to? It leads to life, everlasting life. Life spent in eternity with our Savior, who loved us so much that he gave his own son for us. A life spent worshiping and praising him forever for all that he's done for us. That's such a contrast to the broad road where there's eternal destruction. And to someone who's hearing this, this narrow road and and saying that it leads to eternal life, the question that must come up in their mind is, well then, what do I have to do in order to receive eternal life? And that's the exact same question a rich man once asked. He says in Matthew 19, Now behold, one came to him and said, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus tells him in verse 21, If you want to be perfect, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But the young man heard that saying, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You see, what what happened with this man is that he was held back because of his riches from entering the narrow road. It was his money, that was his God to him. You see, you can't enter the narrow gate with all your baggage. You can't enter it still clinging to this world. You can't enter the narrow gate thinking that somehow I'm going to have my portion of what I want to keep of my flesh or my sin and God will still take it with me. No, you either hold on to this world, everything it offers you, and you accept that you're going down that broad road or you abandon everything and you follow him down that narrow road. Even if it means letting go of friends, family, money, pleasure, even your own life in order to go down that road with him. To go through that narrow gate, it demands a forsaking of self, forsaking of pleasure, forsaking of worldly riches, to walk away from anything and everyone who would hold you back from following him. And sadly, many people are like that rich young ruler who walk away sorrowful because they don't want to give up those things. Sorrowful because they don't want to repent of their sin and follow him. The cost is too great for them to walk away from. This morning, I just want you to consider the roads. Consider the narrow road. Consider the cost, the persecution, the forsaking of sin, the forsaking of your own plans and your own purpose for his purpose in your life. Consider what it ultimately will cost you to follow Christ. It may cost you your own life, but believe me, if you choose this path, it will be the greatest decision you've ever made in your entire life. And all those who have been saved in this room can attest to that. It's a decision that is more important than anything else you'll make. A decision that's more critical. A decision that's more life-altering than any other decision you'll ever make. And as believers, we realize that people are passing into eternity every single day. People are leaving this earth. 150,000 people die every single day. Either taking that road to heaven or taking the road to the lake of fire. 
And like I said, it's our duty to be warning people of the two roads, of the two decisions, all other conversations, all other choices that we tell them about. Those are meaningless conversations in comparison to how important this conversation is. So make it your goal this week. Speak to someone about these two roads, about the two options, the two choices. You know the truth, they don't. You know the destinations, they don't. And out of love for their souls, tell them the truth. Tell them the two options. Tell them the two destinations. Either you take the road leading to destruction, the broad road, or you take the narrow road leading to life. And as for believers, as we're on this narrow road together, on this difficult road, we can take great encouragement knowing that our ultimate destination is spending eternity with our Savior. There is nothing better than knowing that. There is nothing that this broad road could ever offer. All of it combined could never compare to spending eternity with our Savior face to face forever. There is nothing that could ever measure to the greatness of that. So let us as believers press on and continue on this narrow road, looking forward to the day when we see our Savior face to face. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we're just thankful for your word. We're thankful for you clearly showing us the two options, Lord. And Lord, I pray for anyone this morning who is on that broad road. Lord, I pray that they would make a decision today and choose this very day to follow you, Lord. It's not your desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and that all should come to know you. And Lord, I pray that if anyone here has not yet chosen to take that narrow path, that they would consider the cost, Lord, and follow you. I pray, Lord, that as we're on this narrow road as believers, that we would continue pressing forward and looking forward to that day when we'll see you face to face. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.